Good morning. Good to see you guys. We have uh, got a pretty awesome morning going here. Uh, just already, we got to baptize two of our teenagers this morning, and um, just uh, just exciting, exciting stuff. Talking about exciting stuff too, which is which is uh, always fun too. Um, I want to make mention of a couple of things. I just want to say thank you to all the folks uh, who were a part. Uh, of the funeral services over the last two days, the visitation times, and uh, who've helped uh, bring food or clean or uh, just any number of things that's happened here uh, in the last several days, uh, and, and for praying for uh, the Hunt family and for the Knobloch family, uh, just to continue to pray for them uh, and be there for them and love on them and care for them as, uh, as uh, the Lord lays them on your heart. Uh, you know, it's, it's always, you know, a lot of people you know, come around you during those moments, like right when it's happened, uh, right when you've lost somebody, and it's sometimes the, you know, two months down the road, five months, six months, year down the road that, uh, you know, that it's sometimes, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes those people sometimes just wish that somebody would just ask them, how are you doing? How are you doing with, with, with that? How are you doing without them? Uh, and so, um, yeah, so it's a big hit, been a big hit for our church this week. Uh, and 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 sorry, I've kind of jumped ahead maybe a little bit. We lost we lost two of two ladies uh, that were a part of our church family uh, last weekend. Uh, one on Friday, uh, Jennifer Hunt, and then uh, uh, Joanna Knobloch on Sunday afternoon. Joanna was actually on her way here uh, to help with our grief share class, uh, and that's a whole and that's a whole story that I could get into get into telling you about uh, you know the Lord bringing her to a place to do that and everything. So. Uh, anyway, just uh, like I said, continue to have your uh, be be praying for them and uh, and keep them in your in your thoughts and prayers. Um, we I just want to make mention uh, because of really everything that's gone on this past week, we really haven't had a good a good moment to throw it out there. But I wanted to throw it out there that uh, uh, last Sunday after the second service, our membership got together. Uh, and voted uh, to move forward uh, with the expansion of uh, our building and moving forward with uh, everything that we've been talking about with our Worth It uh, campaign to, to, to proceed with uh, moving on toward the financing for that uh, and everything. And so we've been talking about all that stuff. We'll be talking a little bit about it today too. Uh, and, uh, and again, if you have any questions about anything, we'd love to talk with you about that. You can go back and watch uh, past messages about that and different things uh, we'd love, we want, want people to know what's going on, and we're, we're going to continue to be talking through Worth It for many weeks to come, uh, so you should continue to hear uh, more and more about it, and uh, again, if at any point you've got questions, please don't hesitate uh, to hit us up. We'd love to talk with you about what God is doing and what He's leading us to. Uh, we're going to talk, like I said, going to talk about a bunch of that today, which is pretty awesome. Uh, so uh, you can uh, you can hopefully get in on that, and then um, uh, but yeah, also and, and the vote by the way was unanimous. So I always love those. It's like you know, it's like uh, you know sometimes and sometimes like you just know, like you just know with your people. It's like we don't really have to do this, but we really you know we, we try to we want to do things on the up and up and try to you know keep things going and nobody you know wonder or whatever. But uh, man, it's just it's just awesome. It's awesome to see like a church like completely yes, let's let's do this. Let's go after. Uh, what God is leading us to do. Uh, and then I want to make mention, next week is Easter, Easter Sunday, next week. Uh, and that's that's crazy. And so uh, Easter, we have three services on Easter. 
uh, they'll have, uh, Ben will probably mention that later, and they'll talk about the times uh, of that stuff. We, we actually got the times wrong one year a couple years ago. <laughs> like, we, like, like just somewhere, like, uh, you know, it got typed in wrong or something uh, by somebody. I won't say who, Debbie. But, uh, you know, and, uh, I mean, she can't be perfect all the time, right? And, uh, and so, uh, although we thought she was until that day, uh, and, 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 and honestly, it was like, it was like the week of, or the day before Easter Sunday that Nathan calls me and he's like, um, have you, have you, have you seen the times for Easter this, this week? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you know, like the starting times for the services. And I was like, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I have. And he's like, I kind of think they're wrong. And I was like, Really? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're wrong. They're not, they're not, you know, they're not. And I, you know, who knows how to happen. But anyway, we, we just rolled with it. We went with the wrong times and we had Easter. So uh, it was already publicized. There was nothing to do about it. But yeah, there's, uh, there's the services. We also have our Good Friday service. Uh, you know, please come if you get a chance and, and join us for that. Uh, just so, that's an awesome time of worship together and remembering what Christ has done. Uh, and then uh, Easter, man, we'll be celebrating uh, you know, the, the uh, resurrection of Christ. And, uh, you know, Ben mentioned this last week. He'll probably say something about it again in a minute. Uh, but, uh, you know, staggering statistics about, uh, you know, people that would probably come if they would be asked. Um, you know, ask somebody this week. Invite somebody to come with you. Invite somebody that doesn't have family here to have Easter with you. Listen, nothing takes off the edge of crazy family than inviting people that your family doesn't know. I know this from experience, okay? So like, like invite, invite, invite people that, you know, don't have family nearby and say, hey, won't you guys come, come eat, you know, come eat with us, whatever. We got the turkey or the hot chicken or whatever. If you have not chicken, let me know, uh, you know, or whatever. But, you know, and so, but yeah, so uh, awesome, awesome opportunity to minister to people. We even have little flyers out there uh, on the welcome desk or whatever. If you want to grab one uh, that are just like little informational flyers for 24, whatever, grab one, take them, give it to somebody and say, hey, come join me. Uh, this Sunday uh, would be, you, know, you never know. You never know. Like, I, hear, I didn't even say anything about this in the first service. Maybe I'll, I'll probably talk about it next weekend, maybe. But, you know, like, I've got two families. We have two families in our micro church now that, like, two of these guys are, like, two of my closest friends now. And I didn't know either one of them until last Easter. They came to 24 for the very first time. And like, I mean, I, these guys, they, we meet together on Tuesday nights and, and check on each other and, and discipline each other. I mean, just, uh, it's just, uh, the, you never, you never stink and know what God's going to do. Uh, so don't, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid uh, to invite somebody. So uh, that's next week. All right, let's jump into this. Get your Bible out. If you got a Bible, get it out. We're going to the book of Nehemiah. If you do not have a Bible then our ushers have Bibles, and we want you to have one so you can follow along. We also want to make sure that you have your little Worth It book. Uh, if you weren't here last week, we gave these out last week, or if you uh, are forgetful and you left it somewhere, I want you to get one right now because I want you to be able to write in it today, and I want you to be able to keep up with this. Bring it every Sunday. Every Sunday, bring this thing with you uh, while we're doing the Worth It campaign. We're not going to be doing Worth It next 
week during Easter, by the way, but weeks after that, make sure that you bring this with you. Uh, we've got places in there for you to take notes uh, and to follow along and, and all that good stuff. And hey, you never know, you might find pictures of yourself in it or something right there, uh, you know, or whatever. So, uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's pr- it's pretty awesome little thing. So we'll be talking through some of this today. Uh, in fact, if you want to go to the note-taking for today, it's on page 26. Uh, feel free to take notes uh, if God's speaking your heart about something. Uh, you know, it's a great opportunity just to be able to you know, jot something down so you don't forget it or whatever. We'd love for you to be able to do that. Um, but uh, so, yeah, so today uh, we're talking, uh, talking about Nehemiah. We started in Nehemiah last week, kind of taking a break from Mark. Uh, we'll take a break from this for Easter, but, uh, but starting last week, we started talking about Nehemiah. And if you're not familiar with the story of Nehemiah, let me kind of bring you up to speed about Nehemiah. Nehemiah is one of my favorite, one of my favorite stories in all of scripture. I love Nehemiah. It's been like 14 years, I think, since I taught through Nehemiah. In fact, there's video of us in Pleasant View Elementary when I'm talking through Nehemiah. And uh, if, you've ever, if you've ever seen that video clip of like, I think Joey and I are like, we're building this wall with boxes and, and then we turn it around and all this stuff. I, I, we, we, I was teaching about Nehemiah then. And so that, that was a long time ago. And, uh, you know, as I was praying about what God was leading us to do as a church, and I was praying about, like, Lord, what would you have us to go through? What would you, what would you have, have us to guide ourselves uh, in Scripture, in your Word, uh, that we're going to talk through and, and, and be called and, and led to the things that you're leading us to and wanting us to talk about what, what's, what's the past? And so Nehemiah just, I mean, it just like was screaming at me. Uh, you know, as, as we were, as I was thinking about that, when I brought that to the staff and I started like laying out some of the things that I was seeing and everybody was like, whoa, this is like, this is crazy. It's kind of nuts. Uh, just like how it flows with uh, things that we're wanting to talk about and stuff. So, uh, just a perfect opportunity for us to, to, to study the story of Nehemiah and what God did through him. So let me tell you a little bit about Nehemiah. If you weren't here last week, Nehemiah loved, loved the Lord. He, he followed the Lord. And he was also, uh, in, in, in fact, that last line of chapter 1, uh, it says, and I was cupbearer to the king. It's kind of like this little tag thing that he like throws in there in the midst of this thing going on that he, he's praying about and talking about. It says, I was cupbearer to the king. Now, cupbearer to the king means that, uh, that the cupbearer was the guy who literally held the cup for the king. So like if this guy hung out with me, it was like... Here's, here's your Mountain Dew, Mr. Royalty, or whatever. Uh, you know, I mean, it's that, it's that kind of a deal. And, and this was like a huge, huge position to be in because whoever was the cupbearer was somebody that, that the king completely trusted with their life. I mean, like, their life was like in his hands because if anybody was ever going to go after a king to try to poison a king or something like that, it was usually through his drink. And so the cupbearer many times would always even take a drink before the king would take a drink. So like, you know, it'd be like, you know, the cupbearer would, you know, you know, throw a swig back and, you know, you know, I guess we'd kind of like, you know, they'd hang out for a little while. Like, well, I guess I'm still alive, so I guess you're good, king, you know, or whatever kind of thing. And so, you know, but, but he was so trusted that he was somebody that the king knew would, would always be on his side, would always have his best interest at, at hand and, and would never turn on him. Because if you know if you had a cupbearer that somebody let's say another king could buy off and like say hey well I'll give you X amount of dollars if you'll poison the king today well then I mean that's not a good cupbearer you you want somebody that you want somebody that's on your team Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king in the midst of a time period in history when Jerusalem had been 
I mean, just blown up. I mean, just battles, and I mean, just war, and just, I mean, just destroyed. The city of Jerusalem had been destroyed. And so the city of Jerusalem had a wall around it, as, as cities would at that point in time. And worth noting, you know, historically, at that point in time in history, if your city didn't have a wall around it, then you're basically begging people to come and loot and steal and just do whatever they want to to you. I mean, yeah, that, that's first line of defense was having a wall, was having gates, you know, to be able to get through that, you know, were, were guarded and, you know, and all this stuff. And so basically Jerusalem was just in ruin. And, and as we see in Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah catches wind from uh, family members and some other folks that come back that the walls of Jerusalem are just completely torn down. Well, for Nehemiah, this was heartbreaking because this is where Nehemiah's family was from. This was kind of like, you know, hometown, so to speak. And so Nehemiah is catching word that, you know, the city that he holds very dear to his heart is in ruin and literally has nothing to help protect it. You know, Nehemiah's heart begins to break. And so we talked last week, we see Nehemiah's, we see Nehemiah literally weep, weep for the people of Jerusalem. He is broken for a people. And we, in turn, talked about how we as 24 Church are broken for the people in our community that God has put us in for such a time as this. Here's the thing. 15 years ago, we felt led to plant a church. We'll talk about this a little bit here in a little while. We felt led to plant a church in this area, knowing that God was going to continually grow this area, that there would be more and more people in this area, and that there was already people in this area who would need Jesus, who would need people to love them, who would need people to even help protect them, be there for them, care for them, help them get on their feet, help them overcome addictions, all, all these things. And so here we are, 15 years later, 14 and a half technically for the church, here we are all these years later, at this point in time, and God is doing great things in our church's life right now, and we feel like God is leading us to step up and be a part of solutions in caring for the people of our community, loving those people, taking Jesus to those people, bringing those people to us, and not just to us, but to be a part of our family. And so... As we saw Nehemiah's heart break for a people, we currently, as a church, our hearts are breaking for the people of the community in which God has put us in. This community is our mission field, without a doubt. And we cannot ignore the things that are going on. Nehemiah 2. Nehemiah 2 leads us up to the point uh, after Nehemiah has found out about Jerusalem's walls being literally blasted down and torn down and burned, gates burned down and all these other things. And we see Nehemiah in chapter 1 literally praying to God, God, help, help move the heart of the man that can do something about this. So Nehemiah, working for the king, was praying that God would move in the king's heart to help do something about the problem that was at hand. Nehemiah 2, let's read this together. Nehemiah 2, verse 1. It says, 
in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence, and the king said to me, Why is your face sad? Seeing you are not sick, this is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. So let's talk about this just a second. Um, So Nehemiah and the king uh, are here in this uh, scenario that we're seeing. After, uh, again, Nehemiah's been praying about all this stuff, and he's broken for the people and all this stuff. So he is sad, but he's trying not to show that he's sad. And he says, I didn't think that I was sad, but then the king saw that I was sad. So obviously he was visibly sad. And so the king asks him, what's up? Are you, you must be sad. Well, this is, this is kind of a deal. And, and the reason we see Nehemiah's first, his first reaction is what? Then I was very much afraid. Well, the reason we see that he was very much afraid is because if you are cupbearer to the king and you're putting off some kind of bad juju, then the king's going to start to be like, what's up? You put something in my wine? What's, you know, what's, what's going on? You know? And so, and so, the, the immediate moment in which Nehemiah realizes that the king realizes he's sad and that it's something from his heart, he knows that he's not sick, he knows immediately that the king, some of the king's first thoughts are probably going to be, oh, somebody, somebody must be, he must be like warring within himself. Somebody's trying to pay him off to kill me or, you know, whatever it is. I mean, he's just going to automatically go for, you know, the worst of the worst because that's oftentimes what we do, right? Verse 3 says, I said to the king, let the king live forever. Let the king live forever. Now, the reason he, 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 he comes, there's not, this is not all of the answer, but this is how he leads off the answer is Nehemiah's immediate response is he wants the king to understand, hey, dude, we're, we're still on the same team. Like, I'm still pro you. Like, we're, we're good. Let the king live forever, you know? Like, I'm, I'm still here to take your cup and you know, if it's going to get somebody, it's going to get me before it gets you kind of thing. So let the king live forever. But then he goes on and he says, why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So we, we, get, we get a little more history here to, you know, knowing a little more about, you know, that Jerusalem literally was like the place of his forefathers. He's literally, he's broken. He's, he's admitting his sadness. He's admitting, he's like, why wouldn't I be sad? The people, my people, the people in which I come from, they have, they have, they have been destroyed. The place in which they live has been destroyed. There are literally, I mean, you know, and I think for us, you know, it's real easy for us to like think about these situations and we only think about, you know, like, uh, you know, buildings being destroyed and all that kind of stuff. I mean, people were killed. People were killed. Family members, I'm sure, were killed. Children were without homes. You know, Nehemiah is taking all of this in, and he's realizing that, that God is putting it on his heart to mourn for these people, but not just, not just mourn for these people, but to do something about it. That's a big difference. And we can, we can mourn for stuff. It's a whole other thing to do something about it. And folks, I just want you to know that as a church, like we always want this church to be a church where we're about doing something about it. 
We don't want to just mourn for people. We want to do something about it. We may not always be able to do something about it, but when we can, and especially if it's our backyard, we need to do something about it. The king responds. And he says, what are you requesting? And so Nehemiah's response to his question, what are you requesting, is, so I prayed to the God of heaven. I prayed to the God of heaven. So in the midst, like right in this moment, as the king is, you know, he's realized he's sad. Nehemiah's told him why. Then he says, what are you requesting? And immediately Nehemiah does what? He prays. He says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. You know, I I think this is a huge example for us today. Of like, we've already seen Nehemiah pray about this. We already know that Nehemiah's been praying for this. We know that he's even specifically been praying for the king's heart to be softened to the thought of doing something about helping the people of Jerusalem. This is, this is a huge deal. In fact, let me, let me time out and let me go. Let me, let's do a little history on this for just a second. So, so the reason this is kind of like a big deal and, and you might think, oh, well, you know, they're, you know, they're probably pretty tight and they're probably like family and all that stuff. And I think that's probably true. But the truth is also this, that King Artaxerxes had actually been talked out of helping Jerusalem rebuild by other leaders from another province across the river. We'll see all them here in just a minute. Years before. Decades before, they basically came when, 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 when Jerusalem, Jerusalem got destroyed and all this was going on and they needed help and, and, and apparently he was helping back them and helping them rebuild. These other, these other leaders came to the king Artaxerxes and was like, hey dude, don't help them. They're, they're not for you. In fact, they're going to come against you if you do help them. They're just going to rebuild and they're going to come after you and they're going to try to destroy you. They're going to try to take what you've got, which was just a bunch of lies. But that's the history that Nehemiah is up against. So now Nehemiah is staring down his boss who's already pulled out of helping Jerusalem many, many years before because these other leaders lied to him and tried to get him to believe that it would be a bad thing if he helped them to, re- to rebuild. And now Nehemiah's standing here and he's like, um, those are my people. That's, that's where I'm from, and they're not in a good way, and I think I'm supposed to do something. And the king's like, so what are you requesting? And so he prays. He prays again. Folks, let, let, me, let me just say this. If God is leading you to do something in this life, I don't care what it is. I don't care if he leads you to be a missionary in a foreign country. I don't care if he leads you to be a, a, a missionary uh, in... Cheatham County, I don't care if he calls you to plant a church one day, whatever it is, if he's calling you, leading you to go speak with someone about the gospel, to talk with your neighbor about Jesus, whatever it may be, you can't pray enough. Seek the Lord, seek the Lord, seek the Lord, and when you think you're done, you go and you seek the Lord some more. Nehemiah is scared to death that he's going to get in his own way. That's what's going on. So in this moment, when he already knows what he needs to say to the king, he stops, he takes a minute. I don't know if he gets on a knee. I don't know what he does, if it's just under his breath or whatever it is, and that's probably what it was. But he just, he just gets with the Lord, and he prays to the God in heaven, it says. And it says in verse 5, And I said to the king, 
if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. That's what you call going for the ask. Nehemiah takes the opportunity, he takes the moment, and he seizes it. God has put him in this place at this time for this reason to be in front of a guy who can actually do something about this. And Nehemiah realizes it, and he's prayed his way up to it, and he's praying his way through it. Verse 6, it says, And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, I love that, How long will you be gone? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. We don't know how long he gave him. We don't know if he said, you know, I hope to be done in 20 years. I hope to be, you know, 10 years or 20 months or what. We don't don't know. We have no idea. But he gives him a time. The king is happy that he's able to give him a time. And in verse 7 it says, And I said to the king, if it pleases the king. So he's already asked. Can I go? Now he's about to ask for more. This is when, you know, while you've got him on the hook, it's like, okay, well, while we're at this, let me ask for a couple more things. He says, if it pleases the king, verse 7, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. You know who those people are. Those guys that the letters are to are the guys that, talked the king, King Artaxerxes, into pulling out of Jerusalem to begin with. So Nehemiah has to pass through their territory to get to where he needs to go to Jerusalem to help rebuild. And so he says, look, I need some letters. Give me some letters to the governors, the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. Verse 8, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the, of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. So Nehemiah has this opportunity. He says, I need letters. I need letters for these guys to let me through. I need a a letter to your boy that runs the forest over there for you. I'm going to need some wood. We're going to need to chop that junk down. We got to we got to rebuild some gates. We got to rebuild some houses, some walls, all this stuff. Can you hook me up? Of course, for the king, all he's doing is he's just having to write some letters. And so he says, "Well, sure." In fact, we have his response, and the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. I want you to look at that verse. You see that verse? And we, you know, Nehemiah. Nehemiah, if he's cupbearer to the king, I mean, him and this guy have been together for a while, okay? Pretty big deal. Probably a great relationship. I mean, he could be all about like, my king is the greatest. King Artaxerxes is the best king in the land. He gave me everything I asked for. He's my boy. He does not do that. It says, and the king granted me, this is Nehemiah's words, and the king granted me what I asked, and then he gives the reason why. For the good hand of my God was upon me. 
You see what he's recognizing there? He's showing what the king did, but then he's saying, because for the good hand of my God was upon me. He recognizes who the real king is. He comes under comes under the authority of the king that he works for as his boss, but he recognizes that the Lord is over all things and that even his king with his great power that he works for, he doesn't have the control and power over all things that the Lord of all creation does. For the good hand of my God was upon me. Verse 9, it goes on. It says, Then I came to the governor's, of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me with officers and of the army and, horse, and uh, horsemen. So not, not only does, do we see the king, you know, say yes to the request that he makes for, hey, can I get these letters for these things to help me get through, to get me uh, the timber that we need to build all this stuff, uh, but, and the time off, not to mention, which by the way, that's kind of a big deal. Because, like, all of a sudden, like, the guy that he trusts the most to, like, you know, make sure that he's not going to die from drinking something bad, that guy's suddenly, he's just sent that guy off, okay? So it's, it's a big deal. It's a big deal for the king to say, oh, yeah, well, you just go on. That's fine. And then on top of that, here's all this other stuff. Here's some resources. On top of that, then on top of that, he sends also, and we don't see Nehemiah ask for this, but the king sent, it says, now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. Officers of the army and horsemen. So, so I, want, I want you, like, if you're the king, I want you to think about, like, let's just say if you're a businessman, let's say if you're a good businessman, that when, when you see this and you're thinking through this stuff, like, you're, you're just thinking about a cash register ringing. You're like, ching, 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 ching. I mean, like, all, all, of these, all of these people that you're sending, you're still paying these people. Ching, ching, you're still feeding these people. Ching, ching, oh, you gave them horses. Ching, ching. I mean, you know, I mean, and so, like, all through this, oh, you're cutting down parts of my forest. Ching, ching. I mean, you know, the king's like, he's sacrificing. He's giving up things that he owns, money that he has. Nehemiah is doing this with the king's money. Nehemiah doesn't come to the table with like, hey, I'm going to use my fortunes and we're going to, you know, I mean, no, we see the king. The king is the one stroking the check on this thing. And it goes on in verse 10, it says, but when Sanballat and Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. These are the guys, these are the guys that had talked King Artaxerxes into getting out of Jerusalem to begin with. Don't believe me? Go to, go to Ezra. Ezra chapter 4. Ezra chapter 4 has all of these people minus Nehemiah in it. And you get to see the historical of like these guys talking King Artaxerxes out. Get out of Jerusalem. Don't be in Jerusalem. They're going to come against you and all this kind of stuff. And then boom, here these guys are again. And they were displeased. Imagine that. You know why they're displeased? You know why they don't want them to build? They don't want them to build Jerusalem because guess what? They want to keep, they want to keep Jerusalem under their thumb. They want to be able to run over there and steal and loot and do whatever they want to anytime they want to. If King Artaxerxes comes in with all of his precious resources and starts rebuilding this thing, well, then all that's down the drain. 
Verse 11, it says this. It says, so I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Three days. He doesn't, doesn't do anything first three days. I think, this is, I think this is very purposeful. He knows that these guys are going to start keeping an eye on what's going on. And in verse 12, we, we see the first glimpse of that. It says, then I arose in the night. I and a few men with me. And I told no one what God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me, but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring into the dung gate. Said that right. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, and there was no room for an animal there. There was under, uh, for the animal that was under me to pass, that I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate, so and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. He was going incognito, middle of the night. I don't want these fools to find out what's going on here because we're going to get a plan together. And we're going to do this, and I know they're going to try to come against me. And it says, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were with me to do the work. So Nehemiah's got all these people with him, and they're there to do this work. He's, he's still, he's, he's like plotting, he's playing. They don't, they don't really know really what they're really about to be doing. They just know that the king said, you go. And then in verse 17, it says, and then I said to them, them being all these people that he's got with him, talking about the nobles and the priests and officials and all that stuff that were there to do the work. It says, then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision And I told them of the hand of God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words of the king that had spoken, the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. So Nehemiah gathers the people after some of them have gotten to see the situation that's at hand, the destruction that has happened to this city. And they got to know, they got to be kind of figuring this out as, as time went on anyway, but they're, they're starting to understand there's, there, this, is, this must be part of the reason why we're here. Look at all this massive destruction. Nehemiah gathers them together and says, this is why we're here. This is why we're here, and we need to rebuild this wall. We need to build this wall. We need to help these people to not suffer anymore. This is what the king has sent us for. And they said, their words back to Nehemiah, let us rise up and build. Let us rise up and build. What an amazing statement. I'm sure for Nehemiah in that moment to hear those people like come back to him saying these things to him that he was so longing that people might want to hear that he might want to hear. And it says after that, so they strengthened their hands for the good work. They strengthened their hands for the good work. 
I think that that's an important statement. I think that's an important statement. Otherwise, why would Nehemiah throw that in there? You know, that's an important statement because that statement helps us to see something that we know is true is that so oftentimes God leads us to do things that we might not be quote unquote ready to do, but there are things that we can ready ourselves to do to get us ready for what he's leading us to do. And that's exactly what they were doing. They strengthened their hands for the work. We've been talking about that here. We've been talking about, I mean, obviously we, that we're going to need space to do some of the things that we're talking about. We're going to need more space that we're going to uh, of course, we're going to have to raise money to do some of that, uh, and that we're, uh, we're going to need people that would drive buses, vans, serve uh, in going home to home and getting to know families and inviting these people into their homes and you know, building relationships. Because again, we don't want to just go get people and just bring them to church. We want these people to know that we want them to be a part of our family. This is kind of stuff where you get your hands dirty, folks, that we'll need more teachers consistent teachers who are dedicated week in and week out. By the way, Charlie and Joanna, Joanna that we lost this past Sunday, Joanna was one of those teachers in our kids' church. Her husband, Charlie, serves in there faithfully every week. You got, you got to know that we were at the hospital. And that man looks at me after he knows that he's lost Joanna and says, Chris, I, I may need a week or two. Dave was there with me. And Dave and I both looked at him and we're like, dude, no, you need to take some time. But his heart is so much for ministering to these children. We need people like that. We need people whose hearts are broken for the children of this community to say, I'm going to be committed. I'm going to be there. I'm going to do it. I'm gonna, you know, I, not only am I going to do it, I want to be about making it better. So they strengthen their hands for the good work. And in verse 19, it says this, but when Sanballat, by the way, when I was a kid, I loved saying this guy's name. I don't know if anybody else said this guy's name when I was a kid. I used to just go Sanballat, 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 Sanballat. I don't know why I think that's worthy of you guys knowing, but I felt like you should, should know. And, and you got to love like his continual name, like when Sanballat the Horonite uh, and that is correct pronunciation. And Tobiah, the Ammonite, servant of Geshem, uh, the Arab, heard of it. They jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So guess what? Surprise, surprise. God's trying to do something. And here's some opposition. Always a little opposition. Anytime the Lord leads you to do anything in this life, I guarantee you if you start moving on that, there is going to be opposition. If you don't want opposition, then be a lazy Christian and sit at home and don't do anything for the Lord. Don't, don't try to do anything for the kingdom of God. That is, exactly, that is exactly what Satan wants from us. Why in the world would he ever have to come against us if that's who we're going to be? But that's not who we are. We're not people who are going to sit at home. We are not people who are going to ignore things in our community. We are people who love Jesus and want others to see Jesus in us and to know him. They jeered at us and they despised us. 
and said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? They have finally caught full wind of why Nehemiah is there. And they are not happy. They are not happy. I love Nehemiah's response. Verse 20, it says this, then I replied to them. (laughs) You remember the question, right? Are you rebelling against the king? And here's his response. The God of heaven will make us prosper and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Okay? So, so Nehemiah answers their question, are you rebelling against the king? He never, he, never, he never discusses with them what the king is wanting him to do. He doesn't, he, he doesn't even bring the king into it. He goes straight to about God. He's like, uh, forget, forget what the king wants me to do. I'm going to tell you what the Lord wants me to do right now. And he says, the God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build but you, and I almost kind of like, I really want to like believe, I don't think it's probably true, but I really want to believe that like in this moment that Nehemiah's response was done like some girl who's like, you know, moving her head back and forth. And he's like, well, you got no portion and no right and no claim in Jerusalem, right? I mean, that's, that's what I want to, you know, that's what I want to imagine right now is that's what Nehemiah's doing to this guy, these two guys. And the truth is, is that Nehemiah, has come with full authority from the king, but more importantly, he's come with the authority from the Lord that he's going to do this. And the question has to be asked, why? Why do all this? If you're Nehemiah, if you're... If you're all these people, I mean, I mean, even King Artaxerxes, I'm sure, I'm sure there's moments that like after he sends all these people out and he's like, he's kind of thinking to himself, why in the world does Nehemiah feel like this is his, his cause, his thing to fix? Why, 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 why feel like this is so important right now that this is the thing to do? And I think it's very simple. I think that he knew that it was worth it. He knew that it was worth it. Nehemiah had a calling to rescue a people. He understood that part of this was giving homes to orphans, protecting an entire group of people that he could do something about because he recognized that in the moment as God had laid it on his heart, broken his heart for the people, that he had the ability to summon upon the king that was his boss all of the resources that were needed to go and do the work that it was going to take. Nehemiah was working 100% using the king's money. The king's money. The king's money's paying the officers. The king's money's buying the trees. The king's money is, is, is taking care of the whole thing. And we're no different. Do you know what? We're no different. We too are operating on the king's money. Do you know that the stuff that we have? we hold so dear, it's not really ours. I've seen two caskets this week. 
I didn't see anything of value outside of the people that were in them, in those caskets, go with them to a grave. It's not ours. We're managers. We're managers of this stuff. Like every bit of it, even our time, our life, our talents, the things in which God has gifted us with, we are managers of it. And like we have a moment in time, just like Nehemiah did, we have a moment in time where we can look at this and we go, you know what? God, I want to I wanna do something with your stuff that is worthy of your kingdom because it's worth it. In fact, if you got your, your book out and you want to take a couple notes, I want to give you a couple things to write down. Some challenging questions. Just some challenging questions. I'm not here to answer them today. Just some challenging questions to put down. You can take them with you. You can pray over them. You can think about them. Page 26 right there is probably the place to put this. And the first question for you to write down is this. The first question is, what do I do with my money? What do I do with my money? The second question is, what does God want me to do with my money? I might circle the word my on both of those, by the way. What does God want me to do with my money? And then the third question, what does God want me to do with his money? You might circle his on that one. What does God want me to do with his money? The fourth question is, what would God have me to give from what he has provided? What would God have me to give from what he has provided? You can circle he right there if you want to. One more question. What would God have me to keep from what he's provided? What would God have me to keep from what he's provided? You can circle he's if you want to. A friend of mine shared these questions with me, and, and in the same conversation, uh, we were just talking through like what it looks like for kind of a mind shift for us because, I mean, let's face it, we're a people who like, you know, a lot of us work hard, and, and we work hard for stuff, and, and, and so we very much have like a very clingy, like this is mine kind of mentality. And most of us, you know, most of us were, grew, grew up with that mentality. We were told this is yours, this is his, this is hers, you know, whatever, you know, kind of thing. And uh, he was talking about, uh, and I had forgotten about this, uh, but I had heard this before, uh, about a pastor by the name of Rick Warren. He wrote, he wrote Purpose Driven Life. He's a pastor out in California. Uh, great guy, I've gotten to meet him. Um, and um, he was talking about that Rick... Uh, which again, this is a, uh, you know, this is a this is an extreme situation, but I like I like how it gets us to kind of think differently about it. Rick has done extremely well. He's written books that have sold millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of copies, like one of the top selling books of all time. If it's not the top selling book of all time, I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's up there, and he's done really well financially. Rick talks about how 
he went from giving 10% to the Lord, to ministry, to living on 10%. You see, you see, that, see that shift right there? From giving 10% to living on 10%. Now, I'm, I'm not dumb enough to not know that most of us can't live on 10% of what we make, but, but, the, but the thought process behind, like let's, let's, just, let's just say, let's just say somebody gave you, even if you're not a fan of, of like the thought of buying one, let's just say somebody gave you a winning lottery ticket. Just, just making it up here. Say somebody gave you a winning lottery ticket. And immediate, immediately, what do we do with the thought that we suddenly are going to be millionaires? What, what do we do with that thought? We, we immediately, we start thinking about all of that stuff, right? I mean, we start thinking about every way. I'm going to pay off, pay off the medical bills. I'm going to pay off this. I'm going to pay off the house. I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to buy a different house. We're going to, going to get this. We're going to get this car. I'm going to get to, you know, I mean, we're like, you know, I'm going to get a garage full of cars. And, you know, I mean, don't, don't think I wouldn't get a garage full of cars. You know better. You know, I've already got a garage full of, of junk, uh, you know, and, and so, but I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, that's, that's where our head goes. Immediately our head goes there. And what's it look like? For us to like pray and, and ask God, God, would you continue to, to care for our family? But would you begin to show us what it looks like for what it is that we're supposed to keep of what is yours and what it is that we should be giving back? It's a challenging thought. It's a very challenging thought. Uh, we've got a video that we're going to watch. Let's, uh, let's, let's see that now. Hi, we're the Hudsons. I'm Brad. This is Jessica. Uh, you will possibly see our two beautiful children behind us as we share some of our heart with you today. Uh, we have Beckett, who is four, and Rainey, who is two. Uh, we've been going to 24 Church since roughly, I think, 2012, late 2011, early 2012. Uh, we're blessed to have found 24. Uh, we were invited by some friends over to their house. One thing kind of led to another through a micro church. We ended up at 24. We've become members and have found a whole new world of family through uh, God's blessings. And, and we've been there since 2012, but I think we both would agree as we sit here and, and look back on the past month, month and a half, that we, we probably weren't really thinking about what truly is worth it and, and what's worth it in life. I think over the past probably a few weeks, uh, we've really kind of been praying and thinking uh, about our giving and our tithing and our time. Uh, and we had a, kind of just an aha moment a few weeks ago of like, okay, really just start being more intentional with uh, how much we give and what we give, um, time and um, money. My job um, is kind of unknown. Uh, I don't necessarily know when I'm going to have work, when I'm not going to have work, how much money is going to be coming in, not coming in. <laughs> oh, goodness. Sorry. <laughs> um, so, not knowing what I'm going to have each week, each month, kind of affects what we give. Uh, and so, when we should give a certain percentage, in the past, we haven't, honestly. Uh, simply because we haven't trusted 
and uh, I think in the last few weeks we have just prayed a lot and um, kind of come to the conclusion that we're gonna give more and trust more. I think it's so easy to get caught up in the money and, and get caught up in why do we work, why do we do what we do, why do we spend so many hours away from our family like so many people in our church family do and, and so many people in this community do. To say, well, it's worth it because we have the nice car, uh, it's worth it because we even have a car, it's worth it because we have a house, it's worth it because we can give our kids these things. And I think through this process, it's it's really read me to, to realize the blessings of all those things have, have come from God. Uh, and you know, sin wants us to forget that. Sin wants us to to live in the flesh and live in those things, and we get lost in what truly is the source of that. Uh, and it's God's blessings. But what hit home to me is, I'm not rendering to God, but what has been God's. I haven't been faithful in that. I haven't been intentional, and and it was tough. Because uh, the blessings are just abundant and they're large. God has put us here around amazing people sitting in this congregation, amazing people that are in our neighborhood, amazing people that are 100, 200, 500, 1,000 miles away from us, and it's easy to get lost, and the worth it is not those things, but it's worth it to be more intentional about what we do, about the, the things God's given us, and the things that God has put us around where we can serve Him better. We feel like we have failed in that. It's been a conviction. We haven't been faithful as we can be, and it's not even just being intentional about financial giving. I think it's intentional about time and what you do and how you open your doors. Rendering to God what is God's and the blessings that He's given us is, is what we can only hope and pray that we can do so other people see that same love and, and see His image and His grace and His mercy in our community. I ask, I ask the Hudsons to share, if they would, just uh, from uh, their testimony of them sharing with me uh, personally um, about intentional giving and, and how God's kind of changed their heart in that. I, I think so many people, I think, approach giving as just, a, you know, whatever, whatever it's easy to do or what I got with me today or, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, the, the truth is, is, is we're, not, we're not called to do anything uh, for the kingdom in that form or fashion. I mean, you certainly don't see Nehemiah doing that when he goes to uh, try to help rebuild the walls. He's not like, well, you know, we got a, you know, enough to like put a little wall up here, over here, you know, something. We'll try to help with one of the gates or something. I mean, no, he's like, you know, let's, let's let the Lord lead us in that. And wh where does he lead us in that? And, and I hope that that always comes out at any time we talk about this uh, as a church. I asked Joey to join me for just a minute. Um, to just share, um, you know, if, you, if you've got your books there, uh, pages 10 and uh, 11 and, and even 12 and 13, uh, you know, kind of walk through a bunch of things that uh, are, you know, we've got challenges and opportunities and, and different things that are in front of us. We just want to kind of point these things out so that we make sure that you, you see them and that you look at them. I, I just, I wanted to ask him a couple questions, uh, you know, one of which, uh, you know, what's, what, what, is, what do you see as far as like challenges for us coming up in, in the next 10 years or whatever? So God has put us, he's planted us right here in the middle of Pleasant View um, strategically for a reason. There's a reason what God's called us to the people of Pleasant View and the people of this area. Um, we're a fast-growing area, and 
there are like for instance last uh, last year in 2018 I think we added a hundred new rooftops to Pleasant View proper that doesn't include Ashland City or the areas in Chapmansboro or Clarksway this is just in this like three mile radius here of Pleasant View we've added a hundred rooftops that's if you average four to five people a, a rooftop then you're looking at a, a new 500 new people those are individual people who some who may not even know Jesus a lot of who probably don't know Jesus and so there, there's a lot of opportunity there not to mention just this county is hurting in a lot of ways this the the neighbors that we live next to the people we work with the people down the street there's a lot of there's a there's a big need for the the only thing that can cure it is Jesus and and if you look at the the drug epidemic and what we see with the opioids and that how that hits even each one of us uh, individually in, in its own way there's there's lots of different different things there's there's a need for child care for um, Mother's Day out in preschool there's there's just a there's a big need everywhere we look because of the growth just because of some issues that we have as a community um, that right now is you know there, we have a lot of challenges we have a lot of opportunities at the same time you see some of those needs and new ministries on pages 12 and 13 by the way if you want to check those out uh, you know Joey's been with us since day one uh, he's one of the founding pastors of the church here um, you know and I, I think has I think because of that and because of being a, a business owner you got some kind of ice cream thing going on or something um, that uh, I think that gives you, I think that gives you an, an incredible uh, perspective uh, into you know what's ahead. Uh, I, I know you and I very much think the same way on a lot of this kind of stuff. But just out of curiosity, what's the thing that excites you the most uh, out of the thing that's that's kind of coming up in the future? I mean, we can just look around. There's there's what's not to be excited about as as far as living in this community. We have a lot of great people that have been here for years and years, and and God is bringing us new opportunities, new people new faces, and we see that coming in the doors of the, of the church. Those are, each one of those people are not just a statistic, that's a soul. Yeah. That's a person that has a need, that, that um, needs Jesus, that has an opportunity to go on mission with us as well. So um, I, it just really excites me to see the newness, the, the new people, the new folks that are coming from other, other states or, or whatever um, to be able to plant their roots here in Pleasant View, and we're right here with the opportunity to serve those folks. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we're looking at doing, and, and you see some of our ministries listed in there on one of those pages. Uh, also, another thing that you see listed on page 18 is kind of this idea of, of, of how we're doing this financially uh, and what this looks like. So I've had a lot of people ask, you know, we're going to have like, uh, do I write checks to a building program kind of thing or whatever? Uh, and that's not what we're, in fact, vert, uh, page 18 kind of talks to this if you want to read more in depth. Do you want to speak just for a second about the one fund yeah, part of so this? Our, we're not going to just like, Obviously, we want to build our building, right? So just so you know, as part of this Worth It initiative, we're going to build a 6,000-plus square foot addition on mostly kids' space. We'll include some, some, uh, some ministry space for offices and classes and counseling and things like that as well. We're going to be, as a part of that, we're going to have uh, uh, preschool and, and Mother's Day out as a way to uh, provide a need uh, for, for the community. Um, but we are, you know, it's the, the opportunity there is, 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 is great. There is, um, 
what 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 exactly what were your your question again? I lost my frame of thought. Oh, just just what's your uh, what the one fund? Just uh, oh yeah, one fund. So the the thing about one fund is the thing about one fund is instead of like every you know having all these different funds that you know students or missions or everything's going into one fund, and we're going to accomplish our ministry, build our building all out of one fund. We're asking. We're asking for 100% participation in giving to that one fund. And through that, we're going to fund not only current ministries, but ministries in the future over the next, next couple of years. And this, and this just happens from faithful giving. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we've still, we're still doing, like he said, we're still doing the normal budget things that we always do. All the ministries that we do, we're still doing that stuff. Somebody, somebody's house burns down tomorrow. We're going we're gonna to be there for them. We're going to try to help mm-hmm. them figure that out. We're still that church. Uh, and then out of that, what we're saying is, you know, pray about what the Lord is leading you to do and how to give generously. Uh, what's that look like? What's that look like for you and your family? Uh, and then from that, uh, basically every overage for what, what it takes to do the budget stuff is every dime of that's going to go straight to the, uh, straight to, to, you know, what it's going to take. Uh, if you've seen that stuff, you've seen the numbers. There's the two numbers for the budgets for this year and next year. And then, the, and then this, other, this other number of 700000 which is what we're trying to raise over the next two years um, uh, past, you know, our normal budget uh, to put toward uh, the building uh, building on. And if we can do that, uh, and we've, we've talked about all the stuff, we can do that, it's going to put us back into basically the same financial situation we're in now with the building payment that we have now. I mean, it's basically, it's hardly going to change a few, hundred, much more few, capacity. few hundred dollars more with way more capacity to do ministry, uh, not to mention a Mother's Day out. I mean, it, it's just, it's insane. Uh, you know, what it's going to allow us to be able to do. So anyway, uh, thank you for, for coming up and, sure. and, and sharing through some of that stuff. I want to share this one passage, and we'll close with this. Luke 14, 27, it says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? I can't help but wonder about Nehemiah trying to figure out what's it going to take to rebuild these walls and gates and all that stuff. I know what little we've been through as a church to try to figure out what's it going to take for us to be able to do some of these things that we feel led to do. It goes on, it says, Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. And we have to count the cost. And, and, and when I say count the cost, I'm not, I'm not talking about building stuff. I'm talking about us. As disciples of Jesus, we have to come to a place in our spiritual walk where we're willing to count the cost and say, okay, Lord, what are you leading me to do? Are you leading me to make disciples of next-door neighbors who do not know you, sharing Jesus with them, uh, being a part of things like uh, the Worth It initiative, or whatever it is, that God would lead us, that he would be the one leading us, not out of guilt, not out of anything else, that this would be about following him. And, and when we count the cost and we ask that question that Nehemiah had to ask, that the king had to ask, that all those people doing that had to ask at some point in time, why? Why do it? And we got to know that it's because it's worth it. The gospel of Jesus is worth it. Our community is worth it. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Help us to be 
strong followers of you. God, help us to be the people that you've called us to be and what it looks like for us to follow faithfully. God, I pray for anyone, Lord, that has not trusted in you, anyone listening to me right now that it's never, that's never, Lord, received you as their Savior, never trusted you to be enough to save them, to forgive them of their sin. God, I pray, Lord, that today, that right now, Lord, that they would understand and realize, Lord, that you are the way that you sent your son, Jesus, to die for us, and it's only through him, Lord, that we can know what it looks like to, to be free, to be free from those things, but to be a part of your family. God, do that work in their hearts right now. Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving me from my sin. God, do that work in the lives of others. Use us as we go to be Jesus in the lives of others that they may know you as well. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.